there are moments when it feels like time stands still. But when those moments turn into days, months, years, we start to wonder if life will ever begin again. It is written that there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. Now is the time. Thank you. Thank you. It is, it is really good to be here. Um, hi, cousins. Who'd have thought, right? It's really good to meet you guys. My, my name is Steve, and um, man, I'm just, I'm so excited to be here. So thank you so much for having me. And uh, I, I think what you guys are doing here is so important. I think the timing of it is perfect. Um, our, our world is changing. We are changing. And I think it really is uh, an important time and an important conversation to have about the season of life that we are in. So I love that you're taking summer and you're just marching through it. And um, I'm just so grateful and honored to, to contribute to the conversation. And so uh, that's what we're going to do this morning. I, I'm not sure what your life looks like and the experiences you've had, but there's been a reoccurring theme in my life. And it's this idea that um, my expectations, my hopes, dreams, and realities for what my life will be and what it should look like is often different from the reality of my life. Are, are you with me? The expect, expectations that I have and what I want certain things to be, it could be my marriage, um, what I expect my kids to do and the relationship we're going to have, it can be work, it can be social settings, it, it doesn't even matter. I just dream these big dreams of what I think and expect my life to look like and then more often than not, unfortunately, reality doesn't meet those expectations. It doesn't match. Anyone else? Have you experienced this before? And so th this is one of those weird things. Let, let me explain. Um, I'm originally from Southern California, born and raised, and I, I understand culture in Southern California. It is, to a large extent, it is home. I'm just from Southern California, and I just, I, I understand that way of life and that way of thinking. My wife, on the other hand, is not. She's from Bellingham, born and raised. And so we met in college, and so uh, we dated, and I noticed that she was noticing me, and she noticed that I was noticing her, and that whole thing. And so we started dating in college, and we graduated, and I said, oh man, I, you know, I better snatch you up before someone else does. So we fell in love, and I proposed, and she said yes, but she said yes with the stipulation. And I said, what's the stipulation? And she said, well, here's the stipulation. You, I, will, I will marry you, but you have to be willing to move to Bellingham. Now, there's this thing called the Bellingham Boomerang. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it or not, but I just experienced it. See, I had expectations that we would live in Southern California for the rest of our lives, but that didn't match our reality. And so what happened was we got married, and we had a home, and we had jobs and our career, and we were living our life, and then we, we popped out a couple kids. I say we. I didn't do anything. She did all the work. But we, we had these two little uh, boys, and they're just they're wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And then she looked at me, and she gave me this look of like, I think we need to go back home. And I was like, babe, this is home. Like, we are home. This is, where, this is the dream. We're here. We're in San Diego of all places. Like, this, this is it. And I don't know if you guys know this about California. Um, it's summer there, like right now. Like, you don't have to wait for it. It's there. And I'm thinking in my mind, she left the doom and gloom and just the gray and all the rain. It's just so wet. And we met in California. We're in San Diego. I thought, sure, I'll agree to the stipulation because it's never going to happen. And she looked at me. And she said, Steve, I think it's time to go. So we prayed our prayers and had some hopes and dreams and really just kind of, all right, we're going to do this thing. Packed everything up, 
sold the home, put everything in the truck, drove right on up. And we landed here and got settled the February 1st of 2020, and the world shut down in March of 2020. It was supposed to be a season of adventure, of joy, of trying new things, and we're just so excited for what the future was going to hold. And in fact, it turned out to just be, well, a reality of um, loneliness, (laughs) isolation, a lot of time to just talk with each other and work on our marriage. Some of you can relate. Okay, good. And so I had this expectation of this is what it's going to look like. It's going to be brand new. It's going to be amazing. And then, oh, this is our reality. And here's what I've learned about seasons of life and expectations and hopes and dreams and all of these things. There's actually this problem because you and I, try as we might, we cannot control the season that we are in and we can't control how long that season will last. Trust me, I've tried. When things don't go according to plan, I double down on this one word and the word is control. And I sit here and go, okay, I wanna control my situation, all the nuances that make that situation unique, and I even want to control the people that are in that situation. So I try really hard just to line everything up, because if it's a difficult season, and you do this, we want to fast forward right through that baby, and we want to get to all the rainbows and butterflies and just the happy things of life. And if it's a great season of life, well, we're going to push pause on everything else, and we're just going to camp out there and just enjoy the goodness of life. And the problem is, again, we don't get to control that. We can't control the season that we're in, and we can't control the length of time that we are in that season. So the obvious question then is, what do we do about it? If we can't control it, what do we do about it? And we all do this. We've all experienced this at some point in life. Maybe you started a brand new job, and you were so excited about it, only to find out, you know, once that honeymoon period pays or ends, you're like, oh, this is in fact a job. This is a lot of work. Maybe some of you, you were in a relationship and you were dating and then you broke up and you're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a season of singleness because I got to work on myself. Only two days later, God introduces the person of your dreams. They just walk right in front of you and you're like, okay, ah, I'm in this season of singleness, but now ooh, what do I do? There's just this transition that happens in every aspect of our life. We can't control the season we're in, nor can we control how long we're in that season. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what in the world do we do. And I love this series, because as we go through our life, we're going to realize that there's a time for this, and there's a time for that. There's a time for goodness, and blessing, and beautifulness, and then there's also a time for tragedy, and hurt, and sorrow. And this is the rhythm of life that we find ourselves in. And so you're familiar with this verse, but we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and it says this, there's a time for everything, and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh. And this morning, we're gonna cover a time to mourn and a time to dance. See, I thought when we were packing everything up and moving up here, it was gonna be a season of dancing. Of joy, And it turns out it was a season of mourning and loss. And it's important that we're able to identify the seasons that we're in. Otherwise, it creates this tremendous confusion. It's one of those things where we just, we, we want to control, because if we could, we'd camp out in the dancing and the joy and just have so much fun and just live life. But it just doesn't work that way, does it? We find ourselves in these seasons where we're just struggling and there's things to mourn 
and we look at other people dancing, and isn't that the worst? When you're in a season of mourning and you see other people dancing, you're just like, you pray differently towards those people, you know what I mean? Like so-and-so's going through a hard time, you're like, Lord, would you bless them, comfort them? And then you're like, that guy, mm, teach him, Lord, a lesson or something. But here, here's our topic. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. And listen, this is a communal thing, okay? As he's writing this stuff, as Solomon is writing, this is a communal thing. So when you read a time to mourn, I want you to picture a funeral. We are all together. There's a great loss, and we are mourning the loss of this individual. And then for a time of dancing, picture, picture in your mind, picture a wedding full of joy, full of celebration, because there is something new that has occurred. There is a new life, so to speak, a new Marriage, and this is worth celebrating. This is worth throwing a party. We can't get the two confused. We can't live in the dancing but be mourning there, and we certainly can't live in the mourning but pretend like everything's fine and just dance our way through it. It doesn't work that way. So, this word mourn, here's what it means it means to feel or express a deep sense of sadness or loss. What do we mourn? Three quick things. If you're the note-taking type, the first one is this, the loss of a loved one, right? Picture that funeral again, the loss of a loved one. And this is tragic, and this is difficult, and this is hurtful, and there's a grief. We have to grieve this loss. But the, the point here is we actually, we have to do it. We can't just pretend like everything's fine. We have to go through the process because there's a lesson to be learned there. The second one is this, the effects of sin on our relationships, Sometimes it's the sin that I've done that has hurt somebody, and other times it's the sin that that person has done to hurt me. But real quick, just to make sure, I know we're cousins, but I want to make sure we're on the same page. You ever said something stupid and hurt someone? Four of us. Really? Okay, yeah, all right, a handful. Okay, good, good, good. We've all, does, we've all said something stupid. We've all, we've all um, acted out in our anger and said things we, we wish we could have taken back, but of course you can't. You're like, well, I didn't mean it in the moment. It's like, well... You did. That's why you said it, right? We can't take that back. And so the relationship changed. If you've ever been betray betrayed or had trust broken, there's, there's this dynamic in the relationship. It is no longer the same. You can heal from it. You can put it back together. But nonetheless, there is a dent or there is a scar, and the wound has occurred. We have to mourn that as well. And then the third thing that we mourn is just the evil and the fallen nature of our world. Friends, this isn't news to you. We already know this, but our world is not well humanity is hurting and we are broken and we are making terrible choices because of it this is a real thing and and the temptation is to just live our life and pretend like everything's fine but the reality is everything is not fine and in fact we do have to go through this mourning process because something good will come out of it and if you're like me and you just want the happy feels and rainbows and butterflies you're like i'm gonna avoid mourning as best i can and I'm telling you, Jesus has something to say about it that has retrained my brain to think totally different about this idea of mourning and grieving the loss. And I want to read to you the words of Jesus. Here's what he says. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, he says this. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be what? They will be comforted. Only Jesus can say this to people that are mourning. If you and I say this to people that are mourning, right in that moment, they're going to look at us. Oh, they are not going to be thrilled. That's not going to be an uplifting thing. Because it feels rough. So this idea of blessed is happy and fortunate. And then the word comfort means to draw near, to strengthen, and to encourage. So listen, the fact that you and I go through this world and we experience loss and tragedy and hurt, 
This is actually a good thing. Blessed are you and I when we mourn because we'll be comforted. In other words, when tragedy hits and we mourn, Jesus draws near to us. We experience him on a new level that we would not if we were just happy the whole time. We experience him in a new way. And not only that, he will encourage us and he will strengthen us. They're actually good comes from the morning and we experience God in a new way and I'm telling you there's some of you in the room and some of you online you have not mourned the loss in your life that you need to and you feel like God is so distant and far away and I'm telling you you need to enter into the mourning process again because he will show up and he will teach you something you will learn something about your character you will learn something about God's character and I'm telling you, he's not done with you. There's something beautiful. There's something beautiful that's going to happen. Now, again, if you're cynical like me, you're kind of like, okay, how exactly does that work? That's a great verse. Blessed are those that mourn. But how does this actually play out? Can I really see what this looks like in my life? And so these are the words of Jesus, and we're going to read the words of James, the half-brother of Jesus. And listen to what he says. He says this. Here's, here's how this whole mourning process works out and the strengthening and encouraging. He says this. James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Don't share, quick sidebar. Uh, don't share this verse while someone is in the morning process. This is one of those where you, you set it up like ahead of time, like right now, so that when you enter into the morning process, you have perspective, okay? Don't lean in and go, oh, I'm sorry for your loss in your morning, but consider it pure joy. Not a good move, okay? Not a good move. They're, mm, they're gonna look at you and have some different words. But he says this, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials. Trials, these are troubles, these are difficulties um, of, of any kind, of so many kinds, of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Produces perseverance. I don't want my faith tested. I don't want perseverance. I just want to camp out right here in the goodness of life. Like, come on, Jesus, this is why I gave you my life. I just want to live in this blessing. That's all I want. Nope, life doesn't work that way. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. We have seasons in life and we can't choose the one we're in and we can't dictate how long we'll be in it. So, what do we do? We consider it pure joy because the testing of our faith will produce perseverance. And listen to this, verse 4. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's this idea that if I don't go through the morning process, apparently I'm lacking something. And the only way to get it is to go through that process. The type of people that just, you know, pretend like everything is fine in their life, and you look at them, you're like, wow, they just seem to have everything together. And they're just pretending. And on the outside, it looks good, but on the inside, they are dying inside. James goes, they are lacking something. They are not mature. They are incomplete. You read this scripture, and you start looking at your life going, man, part of the reason, part of the reason I'm going through this, and I'm mourning this loss, this trial, is because I am lacking something. Part of that is perseverance. And the reason I need perseverance is, is twofold. The first one is, there will be another trial. There will be another season of mourning coming up. Have you experienced this before? Quick show of hands. Okay, a couple of us have. You get through your trial, and you're like, yes, I made it. Dancing. Woo! And then, boom, you get hit with another trial, and now you're in mourning. We need perseverance. So the first one is because we got another trial coming. The second one is because we're going to help someone else go through their trial. We're going to go through our trial, and we're going to learn things, and we're going to experience Christ drawing near to us, and we will see him and have new understandings so that we can look at our brother and our sister in Christ and help guide them through their trial. 
And listen, if we're going to help guide people through their trial, we're going to need a little bit of wisdom, right? Because you want to say the right things when people are mourning. You don't want to say something foolish and have people write you off. You want to actually help people. You want to comfort them. You want to be there and strengthen them. So you need a little bit of wisdom. Listen to what he says in verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it'll be given to you. Isn't that good news? I don't know what to do. God, help. And he goes, wisdom. Part, part of the, the struggle of moving from California up here is I lost my favorite breakfast place. I know, the struggle's real. It's a big deal. So uh, recently we, we found one, and um, man, I'm becoming a big, big fan of the Berkshire Cafe. And uh, so we took our family there, and we, we, got, we got in there, we sat down at the table, looked at the menu, and I thought, okay, ham and cheese omelet, eggs benedict. Like, what do I do? And my wife looks at me and goes, dude, you're no chef, but you can make a ham and cheese omelet at home. Like, get the eggs benedict. Like, okay. So we get the eggs benedict. We make it happen. They show up. The kids have ordered. My wife has ordered. Like, and the table is just loaded with plates of food. And I love breakfast food. So you walk, you're sitting there, and you're like, man, it's everywhere. And our server, God bless her heart, she walks over and she says, oh, uh, I forgot your pancakes. I didn't know it came with pancakes. And so it comes with pancakes. And so she comes back and she's got this plate and we're like, it doesn't fit on the table. What do we do? And I'm expecting like pancakes. And she goes, boom, pancakes. Just generous portions of pancakes and eggs benedict and all things breakfast. And I'm telling you, in that moment, our family, we are living large. This is a time for dancing. And so we are so excited, and we're just eating and sharing and doing all this stuff. And I, I, I kid you not, I went halfway. I made it halfway through the pancakes. I couldn't finish it. I was just done. I had to tap out, throw in the fork and the napkin on the table. I was done. I was stuffed. Now hear me out. Imagine if we went back, and we ordered the exact same thing, and they come out, and instead of, boom, pancakes, it's um, Steve, here's one scrambled egg, and here's one itty-bitty pancake. And they go, no, 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 no. What's going on here? And then the server says, well, we noticed that you didn't finish um, your, your first meal when you were here, and we don't like to waste things. And so what we're going to do this time is give you a smaller portion. And once you can do that and consume that, then the third time you come back, then we'll give you the rest of it. How ridiculous is that? Now hear me out. Sometimes we think this way about God. We have this messed up view of God, and it says here, if you ask generous, or if you ask for wisdom, God will give it generously without finding fault. Sometimes we have this warped perception of God up there, and, and we're going, God, I don't know what to do. I've been mourning this. This has been difficult for me. There's been this struggle, and God, I need some help. Give me some wisdom. What do I do? And we have this warped image of God going, well, you screwed up the last time. In fact, you even prayed a prayer that said, God, if you get me out of this, I promise I'll never... And you did. So instead of giving you um, abundance of wisdom and knowledge and everything you need to guide you through life, we're just, bloop, just going to give you a little bit. And it doesn't work that way. He says, he says, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it'll be given to you. I think this is incredible. This means when we're going through our go-through, we say, God, I need some help. I need some wisdom. And God goes, Boom pancakes like generous portions of wisdom and information he says i want i actually want to help you through this process i'm going to draw near to you i'm going to strengthen you all we have to do is ask 
boom, pancakes. More than we could physically consume. And he's not going to hold it over our head. You asked for it and you didn't follow through, so I'm going to penalize you. That's not our God. He does not operate that way. So if you're taking notes, and I'm a big note guy, I'm a big fan, the first point in your notes, number one, is morning allows God to draw near to us and strengthen us for what's next. But here's the deal. We have to engage in the morning process. We have to lower that wall, lower our guard, and say, God, I have come to the end of myself. I need you. Relinquish control and say, God, you're up to something. Will you show me what it is? And we mourn. And in that process, God connects to us. He draws near to us. And we are strengthened and we are encouraged. But we have to go through the process. So if that's mourning... And if we mourn and it allows God to draw near to us and strengthen us, here's dancing. Number two in your notes. Dancing is more about whose we are than where we are in life. It's about whose we are over where we are in life. Let me explain. Joy is found in knowing God, not in my situation, circumstances, and toys. Because those things are fleeting. They will pass away. Joy is found in knowing God. In other, words, in other words, our joy comes more from relationship than it comes from situations. It's all about relationship. I am fully, completely loved and forgiven by God. That should make us smile. That's really, really good news. Joy is a byproduct of knowing God. God is joyful. And we have to get rid of this image of God being this distant God, this huge magical being far off in the galaxy with a big, gray, grumpy beard looking at us going, my people are having fun. No. Like, that's, that's not who he is. He's happy. Like, right now, if you were to picture God in your mind, if you were to picture what, what is Jesus' expression on his face when he looks at you, I'm telling you, it's a smile. It's a smile. He is so in love with you. We, we can't even understand it. But God, he's so joyful. Hey, I, I just think instead of him being the grumpy guy going, angels, look at this idiot. Boom. I think he's going, angels, look at Steve. He thinks he can finish the pancakes. Look at this fool. Come on. Look at what I created for him. Isn't this hilarious? He finds joy in knowing us. And friends, and friends there's a lot of joy to be known in him. We have to know who God is. Part of a byproduct of God is simply this. It's Galatians 5, verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And there's more. It goes on, but I just want to camp out on the first three. What if that was your life? Imagine if people looked at your life and the way you lived and they thought, that guy, that girl, they've got love, they've got joy, and they've got peace. That sums up their life. And I'm convinced part of the reason that Christians don't have joy is because we don't have peace. We know we're loved. We read our Bibles. We understand that. But we're not living in peace. So it's hard to be joyful when we don't have peace. Some of us are far more anxious than we've ever been in our life. We're more stressed out, more isolated and lonely. We're reaching for coping mechanisms that don't work and haven't worked, and yet we find ourselves on this hamster wheel. Joy is found in knowing Jesus. And it starts there. It's never in situations. It's never in circumstances. It's found in Jesus. 
Every time I talk about joy, I, I can't help but get the picture. It's usually grumpy old men, so sorry. But uh, people who have walked with Jesus for like a very long time, for over 30 years, and they just kind of stand there like this, and they go, I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years, and it's been great. <laughs> and I always want to look at them and go, like, well, maybe you should tell your face. <laughs> like, you should smile. In fact, why don't we do this right now? Turn to the person next to you and just smile. Don't even say anything. Just smile at them. It's kind of creepy, isn't it? Because we're just, we're not used to it. You're like, why are you smiling? I don't know. Because I know Jesus, and I'm fully forgiven, and I'm fully loved. And listen, when you understand who God is and have a relationship with him, you realize that you have no one to impress and nothing to prove. That's it. You know the freedom that you have in that? I don't have to impress anybody. I don't have to prove anything to anyone because I'm fully accepted and loved by the Creator Almighty. That's the peace I'm talking about. The peace of knowing God. Which means I can have awkward smiles at everybody and just, I, I just smile. And we just look at people and they go, you're crazy. And I go, maybe. But I know Jesus. Listen to this, Romans 15, verse 13, it says this. This is Paul writing. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just imagine if that, if that described our life just day in and day out. I mean, honestly, like this is a reality. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as we trust in him. Meaning we're going through a trial. Things are difficult. We're mourning that we're in the trial, but we're trusting in him, which means there's going to be an element of joy and peace, and we can consider it pure joy. He's not saying be joyful and smile. That's crazy. He's saying consider it because you're going to be better, because you're lacking something right now, and you're going to get it. You're going to gain it as you go through this trial. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I have nothing to prove and I have no one to impress. The God of peace knows me and I know him. And it's the lesson we all learn. Lastly, in your notes, number three, we have to implement the lessons from mourning and dancing into everyday seasons of life. Take what we've learned from mourning, take what we've learned from dancing, and we have to implement them in every season of life. Because I, I, I know this to be true. You have the mourning and you have dancing. You have the extremes. And Solomon, he walks them all out, lays them all out. But you and I, the majority of our life, I think is found right there in the middle. Every day, there are options and opportunities for us to mourn because we will experience loss and pain and heartache. And every day, there are opportunities for dancing, for joy, for awkward smiles at people. The problem is, you and I, if we are not peaceful, if we are not living in connection with God, we are just wandering through our life, and we are anxious, and we are looking everywhere else for answers, and I'm telling you, we're going to miss it. It's found in Jesus, and we live in the middle, and I take the lessons I learned from morning, and I put it in my daily life. I'm talking Tuesday at 345, everyday normal life, and I've learned that I'm not alone, even though tragedy is has fallen on me, that God is drawing near in a very unique way. And when there's joy, I learned that it's not found in the circumstance because I'll wake up tomorrow and I'll have a different circumstance. It's found in God. And when I do that, then it's easier for me to walk in peace every step with Jesus. I, I, I want to close by reading Psalm 23. It's become 
one of my favorite passages, and I think it does a beautiful job of talking about mourning and dancing and the time in between. So here we go, Psalm 23. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Remember, this is every day. Every single day. We wake up, the Lord is our shepherd. We lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Every day. Every day. It's not the extremes, the morning and dancing. It's just every day. He is the shepherd. We're the sheep. Every day he, was, he is with us. And then we transition into verse 4. Morning. It says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do you get the picture? You wouldn't choose the season to walk through that dark valley. You would never choose it. You can't control the fact that you're in it. You're just in it. You can't control how long it is. You're just there. You're just there. I'm reminded of that kid's book, that children's book. You're going on a bear hunt. You're like, well, I can't go over it. Can't go around the valley. Can't go under the valley. I gotta go through it. And here's the good news, because it doesn't feel like it, but here it is. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for what? You are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I'm telling you, when we're in the season of mourning, God says, Steve, sit down. Stop trying to control everything. Sit down. Let's have a cup of coffee and pancakes. We have time for this. And when you're there, Steve, what's going on in your life? Share with me what's going on. What's the hurt? What are the hangups? Do you need some wisdom? But I'm so busy running and trying to navigate how to get out of the darkest valley. He's going, pause your life. Slow down. I need you to enter into the mourning process because I'm going to teach you something beautiful. And though it appears like all hell is breaking loose around you and you are not sure what to do, I am with you every step of the way. And we are going through the valley. And when you get tired, there's a table. And I'm with you. And I will bring you comfort every step of the way. And some of you, you have to enter into the grieving process because you have bottled up things for far too long. And you feel so distant from God. It's not that God is distant. So you have to surrender and tear down that wall and allow him to minister to your heart and to your soul. And then here's what happens. We transition into the dancing and joy. He says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. We're talking about blessing and dancing. And he says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is it. Everyday life, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Sometimes I'm going to mourn, but he is right there with me in those darkest valleys. And at the end of the day, I'm blessed. And I will dwell in the house of God forever. Now imagine for a moment, just a quick moment. Imagine if we all did this, every single one of us in this room and people online. Imagine if we lived this way. We took the lessons that we learned in mourning. We walked around and we smiled and we truly had joy and peace in our hearts. Imagine if we live this way. I'm convinced the outside world who does not know God would look at us and go, y'all are crazy. I think that's step one. Step two is after they see the consistency of it, they go, okay, there's something you have that I don't have. What is that? 
And I'm telling you, through our pain, our mourning, our hurt, our loss, and the way we respond, and the way that we allow the Lord to minister to our heart and to our soul, that creates opportunity to share with one another, to share with other people who don't know Jesus. We get the joy, the blessing, and the obligation and responsibility to actually share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people that are hurting in this world, to change their life. Because listen, we know they're not experiencing joy. We know they're not experiencing peace. Come on, church, some of that is our story as well. And we found those things in Jesus, and I'm telling you, when the outside world sees us living this way, it gives them hope. And then we can introduce them to peace and joy found only in Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced, you want to change the world, you want to change your community, it starts by living this way and having one conversation with one person at a time. We have the wonderful opportunity to share the greatest story ever told. And I'm telling you, for people that are mourning, it will give them hope. For people that are chasing the next high, the next good thing, the next great experience because they're just trying to cope, I'm telling you, we can offer them true, lasting joy. But they have to see it in us first. They have to see it in us. So Father, my prayer is for each and every one of us, Lord, that if we are in a season of mourning, that we would actually enter into that season. Would we surrender our hopes, our dreams, the control that we want to have over our life, Lord, and would we just open open our hands and say not our will be done but yours would you teach us that you are in fact good that you love us that you have forgiven us completely and Lord for my friends that are in that season that dark valley and they are hurting I pray right now Lord that your Holy Spirit would comfort them encourage them Father lift them up and for the people that are dancing and life is so good right now Lord I pray that that would just extend that that would go for days and days and days and Lord, when their situation changes, when the circumstances are different, would the joy continue because they know your son, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, for Bellingham, for Whatcom County and beyond, that people that are hurting and lost, they would look to your church, they would see your people, and they would find hope in your son, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. And the church said, amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Can we say thanks to Steve for joining us this morning? Good job, buddy. Thank you. We are so glad to welcome back the after-service prayer team. We've been gone. They've been on hiatus for a couple of years with COVID going on. If you have a prayer request of any kind, there'll be people standing up here across the front that would love to pray for you. If you're online, you can go to prayer.ctk.church anytime. And we're so glad that you guys chose to join us for church this weekend. Have a great weekend. Run outside. It's... Kind of sunny. Yeah, bye. <laughs> <laughs>